Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 300 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for discovering Trek listeners. Fansets, our pins have character. Hello from the last time this season, Discovering Trek listeners. Sarah and Casey here, and this is Discovering Trek Enterprise. Welcome to the first frontier. We two time-traveling devourers of delicious baked goods are back to chit-chat about another episode of what? Of Enterprise, of course. This is the first full series watch-through for Sarah, and it's a re-watch for me. Today, we're yapping about Shockwave, part one. This episode originally showed up on the airwaves or your cable box almost 20 years ago on May 22nd, 2002. So if in the last two decades you haven't watched this episode, please do. Otherwise, we'll shock you with the details about the plot of this episode. (laughs) You can put us on pause, fire up Paramount Plus, Amazon Prime, Netflix, physical discs, watch this episode. Come on back here and listen to us talk about the Subaban and Daniels being back. What? See a spoiler right there. Well, we can't go back in time, so fair warning, and that completes our first season of ridiculous spoiler warnings. So let's go back to the future. Damn, wrong franchise. Before we discuss the episode, Shockwave Part 1, we want to remind you that we want to hear from our listeners about everything Enterprise. So, how can all of you get in touch with us with your thoughts on the first season of Star Trek Enterprise? Oh my goodness gracious. There is like 100 gazillion million ways for everybody to do that. It's limitless. It's countless. It's timeless. It's a shock how many ways you can get a hold of us. It's a shock how long I'm dragging this out. Yeah, let's Go keep to trekgeeks.com <laughs> slash contact. Leave us an email with your thoughts. Look for us on Twitter, Facebook. All you got to do is search for Discovering Trek. If you're at trekgeeks.com, remember, you click over on the big blue button. Leave us a message there. And hey, you never know. In the future, we might use it on an episode of Discovering Trek. So enough of that shenanigans. On to the pie. Oh, man. I'm so sick of pie. What are we going to do next time? Really? You're sick of pie? I never, ever tire of pie. I love pie. Mm. I'm not a big dessert eater, so I'm going to go forth with pizza pie. Absolutely credible. No problem with that at all. I'm going to give this episode four slices of... Pepperoni, mushroom, mm. bacon, mm. pizza with a wood fire, 900 degrees crust, and a very subtle marinara sauce with a little bit of Parmesan on top and some red pepper chili flakes. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's so bad now. That sounds delicious. I mean, well, guess what? We're having pizza tonight here. <laughs> I was like, I go this every time we talk. I like afterwards, I go, oh, I want pizza. I want pizza. I well, get a flight at one o'clock. I'll be there in time. All right. Sounds good to me. And like you, 
sometimes I don't always want a, you know, sweet dessert. So pie or savory pie, pizza pie, whatever. I, I'm giving this episode uh, five slices. There are a lot of scenes with different characters interacting that I really enjoyed. Um, pretty nice cliffhanger to, you know, kind of drag us into season two. Right. And I think after the shite show that was two days and two nights, uh, I think my sliding scale a bit is, <laughs> is skewed on that. Cause like, I'm all, Oh, this is so much better than the last. <laughs> Fair. Oh Lordy. And what may be great or not as good as the last episode, because Sarah did the last episode rhyme. This is my final rhyme ever, ever ladies and ever. Gentlemen. Oh, <clears throat> such sweet relief. Dun, da, da, dun, dun, duh. All right, here we go, you crazy knuckleheads. We start the season finale with another sexist bad. Male writers and producers on the show aren't very rad. As our potters fly down to see the colony, there is a boom. The crew and audience are full of what? And doom. Protocols are met and even exceeded, but a devastating explosion still proceeded. 3,000 colonists are instantly dead. The Enterprise crew is full of questions and dread. Starfleet orders the ship home, canceled the mission. 10 or 20 years until the next ship goes out is what the Vulcans are wishing. Hoshi and Travis have a heart-to-heart. Where do they think they'll end up? The crew will be torn apart. Paul gives Archer real help and emotional steering. She gives the floundering captain strong support and up cheering. Tucker and Phlox have a spirited talk in mid-bay. Trip is angry as usual, while Phlox has many positives to say. Archer resignedly hits the lights to go to bed, flicks them back on, but he's somewhere else. Did he bonk his head? Daniels is back with Archer, both in the city. Someone else caused the massacre, someone real shitty. Archer gets info to use against Sulaban. New tech, locations, and admitters. They better move along. Warping back to the Paragon Colony all right, the crew of Enterprise, they bring a surprise fight. Shuttlepod 2 zips in to pull an Ocean's Eleven, fighting and blasting, sending some to Sulaban Heaven. The Enterprise proves Sulaban were the cause, but with an angry future guy, there is no time to pause. He wants Archer for reasons not known. The Enterprise lead is totally blown. A Sulaban swarm is right on their tail, giving no room, refused to give up Archer, they'd be shot out. The ship would go boom. Archer says goodbye to his crew, and with a gentle please, look after Porthos, and remember, no cheese. Steadying himself for a fate that is unknown, he steps into rubble, but he's not alone. Daniels again is there. They're both trapped in the 31st century, with no way back home, kind of like Sam Beckett, coincidentally. That ends season one, and all of our rhymes, Thank God this is finished for the very last time. What will happen in the course of season two? Come on back later. We'll have more listening for you. Oh my God, you did it. You're done. How does it feel? Is it the biggest weight off your shoulders now? Uh, It is so nice. I'm so sorry that I did that to us. (laughs) 
You you could have just what I did the first one. You could have just said, "Yep, go, Case. That, that was great. We're never doing that again." So I completely blame you. I've sent a bill to your house for all of the <laughs> sorrow I have gone through and the tons of peanut butter whiskey I've had to drink to to soothe my soul. Oh my gosh! Did you be more of a baby about it? I mean, it's just a rhyme. <laughs> Oh, Sarah was so hard to do. I know. Well, it's done. That's, that's it. That's very true. Oh. Yeah. So, <laughs> what, what what you got? What you thinking, my friend? You know, I I, I did a little, as I do, I had to go read a little synopsis to kind of remind myself about what happened in this episode. And I, it all kind of came running back to me. And I remember why I didn't give it more than four. I get what they were trying to do with the storyline of all of those colonists um, being zapped into nothingness and mm-hmm. having a reason to bring the ship back and be like, you get, you're done, you know, can't trust you out there. But it fell flat for me. And I think it fell flat for me because I, they've, threatened this throughout this first season about you not being ready and you but you're shown also that the the Vulcans are sketchy but then they're preached to be better at everything and it maybe there was just too much flip-flopping and I didn't think that Mm. the writing was consistent enough to kind of give this type of depth that you were wanting for the storyline but I just remember watching it being like this is too big too soon. Like they're not, we're not, I'm not emotionally invested yet in this crew that Uh that I'm upset that they're going to be separated. i kind of feel like it's like, Oh, we saw this coming. You know what I mean? I think it was Mm -hmm. the big cliffhanger that kind of brought me being like, Oh, okay. That was good. Like I, I, I I would tune in next season if this was something I had to wait for. Um, Mm -hmm. But then again, I never did. I watched season one when it (laughs) first aired and it didn't, pull me back in for season two so I rewatching it now like yeah I'm a little bit more invested because I've actually had to pay attention and write rhymes and and debate characters and character development but I still yeah I I feel like had it been a stronger season this would have packed more of a punch concur Pinker is a very uneven season. It's really it's a very uneven season. It's yeah. really bizarre. And yeah, when you're going through all the things that supposedly this crew is going through, I would I would think human nature, alien nature, whatever you want to call it, that there would be a lot different interaction and growth. <laughs> in these in these characters this to me feels like it could have been a really good season finale for uh season two or three kind Mm. of like best of both worlds you know you get through the season one of tng and the inconsistency of season two with it with gates leaving and then coming back and then by the time you hit around season three season four you care about these people and you're devastated to see picard gone mm-hmm. and then they do it again later on with chain of command or whatever and you get jellico the greatest captain of all time <laughs> and um yeah like they, they, they've they've pulled you in and and made you feel safe and then they pack the punch and so i think that this was a bit premature but it doesn't mean i didn't like the story i'm intrigued for sure and i liked daniels and i was interested with the first time he came around and i was interested in this whole plot line of a temporal war so 
bring it on, I guess. There you go. See what happens. When, question for you here, like uh, Archer vocalizes to T'Pol and, and to the audience that he trusts and respects her, mm-hmm. which I thought, okay, that's, that's some character improvement. Yeah. Uh, and T'Pol gives him the, you know, hey, get off your ass push that he needs. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they, they both kind of recognize that with, with each other. If there was, like you just said, if there was more of those types of scenes earlier throughout the season, then yes, do, do we care about these people? Is there an emotional impact? Do we really believe at all at the end of season one for people who have signed seven-year contracts that, you know, oh, the crew's going to be separated. That's it. Oh, darn. Yeah. Yep, that, that's it. You know, oh, Hoshi's going to be back teaching in, in Brazil. Yeah. And, oh, but and part of that, Sarah, what do you, sorry, on this, the whole Hoshi-Travis discussion, you know, while they're, while they're eating, I don't know about you, but boy, it felt like there was so much backstory between the two of them of things were like, when when the big three leave the ship mm. and Hoshi or Travis are put in charge of the bridge, they're they're talking. They're yeah. getting to know each other. Because man, she's all hey, I'm I'm really wanted at that job in Brazil because I'm freaking awesome at my job. And she lifts up Travis saying, you know, if you go back to Paul and Freight or doing whatever, they'd make you captain. Because come on. Look at the stuff you've done. Yeah. And that interaction really hit me of, once again, gosh, more more of these type of things. Well, yeah, because these are the people who have the stars in their eyes. They're, they're, they're somewhere they never thought they would be, whereas Archer feels like this is where he was supposed to have been years ago and that he's been cheated and this is like he's very entitled and feels very deserving of, of everything. And so I don't, I don't like Archer. I'll say it. I don't care. Come at me on Twitter. I don't like Archer. And so I don't care about this storyline where he's going to be told like, you're doing a bad job. Like, yeah, he is doing a bad job and he should be taken away and they should go back. And like, I don't mean they should not have a mission. I think they should find somebody else to do it. I say put Paul in the captain's chair and get somebody else out there. She's proved herself, but Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, I sorry, Scott Bakula, love you. Don't love yeah. the character yet. And maybe that'll change as time grows because I thought I'd come into this being like, I don't like DePaul. I love DePaul. DePaul and um Trip are my favorite characters and have stood out. And I would love to see more Mayweather and more flocks, but I didn't get much of it this year. So that's the other thing too, is like, oh, so what? They're all gonna get separated? Like I barely know these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was. Well, I get totally pulled out of this stuff just because, like, of knowing things in the background and yeah. actual production. And I'm like, they sign contracts. Yeah. You're you're not fooling anybody. No one thinks for a second. This isn't like when you were saying, you know, hey, Patrick Stewart maybe hasn't re-signed a contract. Mm-hmm. Maybe they actually do kill him because he's now a Borg because he's not going to re-sign. But this is like season one. Or. Now we're so spoiled with shows like Discovery, which have such incredible writing that it's like, yeah, you could separate the crew 
for years. You mm-hmm. did. You're still mm-hmm. all filming. You're still all contractually mm-hmm. ob- ugh, like obligated um, to be filming, but you're not a crew. You've got Michael Burnham yeah. years in the future, and you got these people over here. And it's like it's because it, it makes me think of The Walking Dead, where you have these ensemble of 10 people always together and then crap hits the fan they're separated into Mm -hmm. four groups of three you never know if they're going to see each other again you've gotten used to the fact that characters get killed off and that they're not signing seven year they're signing one year at a time and i love that because it keeps the person guessing like i think that that's something that should be in more tv shows just for the shock factor and the that would yeah. be fun. I mean, I, I think there's this is another weakness of episodic television instead of arcs. Yeah. Well, and this is a sign of the times. This is 2002. Yeah. This was but before still, streaming and before yeah, so much after, after DS9. Mm, I know. Yeah. yeah. That set the like, bar. I, it set such a high bar. Oh and Voyager gosh. didn't even hit that bar. And Voyager is a fantastic show. But it still doesn't compare to D Space Nine. And I never thought I'd say that. I had never was such, I was never that big of a fan of D Space Nine. But that's because I was oh, a 16 really? year old girl who liked all the funny episodes of TNG. I wasn't interested in watching uh, something that was politically driven at 16. I was like, oh, I'm, I missed an episode. Sense. Now I don't know what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. But now as an adult, like, God, I watch these characters and I'm like, God, I can relate to them because now. I'm old and bitter. So I'm like, well, I see some Odo there. I definitely see some Miles O'Brien there, but I see a lot of that Kira fight. And I definitely mm. sometimes feel like a Dr. Bashir at times. Like, you know, and, and I'm always trying to be Quark. So it's like, there you, you know. go. Okay. Question for you here. Do you think uh, in Bacula's performance in this episode, do you think it like truly expressed the pressure Archer is under to ensure future Starfleet missions? No. Yeah, I gotcha. It just, it comes off to me whiny and uh, like this, this is your first person out there. You, yeah. you, you know, there's going to be bumps. You got to be ready for a lot of bumpy road type stuff and things that are not going to go your way. And as long as you don't do anything majorly awful, and it's like I get in this this story. Okay, here's the c- catastrophe of, you know, three thousand colonists. Oh my God, we think we killed them, but that oh gosh, that like um, emotional shutdown of just I give up. I'm okay. You know what? Yeah. Uh, eh. It's like this seems very different than the supposed fight that yeah. was in him earlier. So. And then with it's that, just not the right character traits for a captain, I don't think. I, yeah. I and I don't know what would be like. I I know I mentioned the character already, and I'm everyone knows that I'm a huge fan of the character of Miles O'Brien. But I think a character like that would have been a really good kind of captain for for this. That kind of like disgruntled, surly, but really wants to do a good job mm-hmm. and can be brutally honest about like. I am not a happy person and I'm not going to hide and pretend, but I'm also a realist and I just want to get the job done. And how can we get the job done? Whereas Archer, I just, I just keep thinking of the word entitled and, and 
who else would be the first captain out there on the Enterprise? Like, obviously, it's me. I've wanted this since I was a child. Well, you know mm-hmm. what? Probably a lot of other people, too, wanted that. Wanted too. the same thing, and they wanted to be the first. And maybe yeah. some of them would have been a, bit, a little bit more open to suggestion and maybe a little less bitter and a little less of a chip on the shoulder and peacocking and just... Yeah, God, I think I'm this, really ripping them. This, one, shows, but. this shows us another failure, I think, of the producers and the writers. So Berman and Braga wrote this episode. White men and, writing for white men. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, they they start off with stuff that I like. Really, I mean, you're grown men at this age, and you're writing that, and then you're yeah. writing the, this character this way, and you know. People keep talking about well the the you know over four seasons of how characters change, and it goes you don't have to start by being a complete diptingle <laughs> to then change to something where you're a respected respectable person. There you know it doesn't have to be that. So sometimes that oh frying pan to the face, just so on the nose type of stuff. It's like, you guys, you had DS9 beforehand. You had Voyager before that. There, there, there are ways to do things. And sometimes I just look at this series on certain episodes, Sarah, and I think the writers and producers are burnt out. I almost feel like what would have been a really cool thing to do, which would have been so unique and such a cool way to get people excited would have been to take a lot of this awkward first mission stuff mm-hmm. and made a movie. Uh-huh. They're doing a new Star Trek movie called Enterprise to get people excited for a new series that's going to be coming in a couple of years. And get all that awkward crap out of the way in a two-hour movie and then start a series where there's a foundation laid and they're out there doing stuff. So that would have been a really cool thing to do or start they, the series and do a movie later. That's a flashback to all those awkward mm-hmm. things where you're like, oh, my God, they came so far. They could have done a, a, a two hour made for TV movie. Yeah. And then six months later, come out with the series, like you're saying, because that yeah. would be pretty, you've built the sets. You do yeah. it on a, a TV budget. Mm-hmm. Hey, if 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 for some reason no one likes the made for TV movie, mm-hmm. you cut your losses immediately. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. Especially because it would have been like such a cool movie of like, this is the first time any ship from Starfleet mm-hmm. is going out and you mm-hmm. have this like drama happens and it's a typical two hour movie and everything's good. And then you start season one and it's like three years after that. And it's like, something's happened and you have that mystery and you're like, okay, well, they were doing pretty good that first time, but now like oh, suddenly God, somebody's not there and there's somebody new and it's, Mm -hmm. They did something wrong and they're trying to write it. And then you get that mystery element instantly. I am. Why am I not writing for this stuff? I don't know. I've got a thousand ideas. There you go. Well, I, you should write those. These should be, because I mean, think about the cool scenes we got in this episode with different characters interacting with each other. And that was a, 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 I was like, more of that, please. More, 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 more. Yeah, Seinfeld in space, just talking. Right? Right? <laughs> Why talking not? about the crewman who's got the tic tacs in his pocket and making too much noise. <laughs> I loved it. Right. I mean, I love the little silliness between, you know, Flox and Trip. 
and it, that was just your your yin and your yang because yeah. Flocks was like, "Hey, good stuff's gonna happen," and Trip was his normal wah wah type oh, self. Yeah, but I love Flocks. Yeah, but you know it's not wah wah. Oh, I know where you're going with this. Do you? I think so. Two something, words. Something with like sets and fans. Pans. Oh, think pans. Or fans, mm-hmm. Rams? Pans? Fans. Rams? It's fan sets. Fuck. No one expected Fah. that. Did I just have everyone on the edge of their seat think we we're going to talk about vans for, that are for sale? Probably, because I've never, I've never heard of the company you're talking about. Oh my god! Well, listen in and Discovering Trek listeners, we want to thank Fan Sets for being the exclusive sponsor on Discovering Trek. The Fan Sets crew are constantly working to put out the best, the best product available, and mm-hmm. to come up with new designs and product releases. There are more epic new products out right now i am not lying to you there are new character pins the stunning delta pins magnets women of trek collection pins from your favorite trek series amazing ship pins and of course there's all that other stuff that's not trek related at all like rick and morty harry potter scooby-doo ultraman the list goes on there are hundreds of pins and accessories for you at fansets.com so right now or right later or at some point (laughs) in your day or life you go on over to fansets.com, you scroll along, you grab a bunch of stuff, you put it in that electric cart, it's like an e-cart, it's like a shopping cart, but it's on your computer. You enter in that code, we're discovering TREK in all caps with no spaces at checkout, you get 10% off your entire order. And if you're in the US and you spend more than 30 bucks, it's free shipping. That is amazing. It is amazing. You know, great stuff there. Love them. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Ta-da! Huzzah! Huzzah, huzzah. So it's our last meal, like the condemned person (laughs) on death row. It's our final meal. What are you having? What do you want to have? It's it's your last meal. Think of it that way. Oh, what would I have for my last meal? Boy, that's... Three courses. I want an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert. Okay, for the appetizer, I would like extra crispy, crinkle-cut French fries, smothered in pre-cracked and shredded Dungeness crab. I want a side over there of a different garlic aioli to dip it in. Then, let's see, for the entree, my friend... I I would go, I think, with a, a, a whole fried chicken. Not pieces. <laughs> I want a whole fried chicken. Amazing. Uh, mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes keep the skins on when you make them. Makes it tastier. Yep. Build a big old moat with the mashed potatoes. Fill that with gravy. Oh, mm. God. Then on the side there, uh, long cut <laughs> green beans. Butter, salt, yes. and a little bit of garlic powder on top. All right. And then for dessert, I can I can go multiple ways here, but I, I keep coming said. back to whoa. <laughs> I could go for a three to four inch high Dutch apple pie with extra crust on top 
and French vanilla bean ice cream off to the side with shavings of dark chocolate on top. Oh my God. <laughs> I am. Uh, I don't. Some people read Fifty Shades of Grey. I read a freaking recipe book. Like, I am so just like amped right now. Right on. How about you? Oh, man. Here we go. I'm going to have fresh baked, warm sourdough bread Mm -hmm. with like whipped butter Mm -hmm. as like an appetizer or a little bit of olive oil and vinegar too. So you have the Mm. option because I might have like a slice or two, but Mm -hmm. my entree is going to be a giant Cajun seafood boil (gasps) that will have the Andalou sausage. It'll have Mm. corn on the cob. It'll have prawns. It'll have crab and it's got potatoes and it's got old bay seasoning mm. and you, that bread's going to go in there later to get all that spicy goodness yes and you're eating with your hands and you got your little claw breakers and you got your bib and it's just it's the smells making you cry because it's so spicy but it's so good <laughs> oh you gotta work to get the meat out of it. you're like an animal just going there with the crab legs and then for dessert a snickerdoodle cookie <gasps> those are my favorite or a churro, something oh. cinnamony, good, oh, or like an elephant ear, or a beaver mm-hmm. tail, or whatever you call them, or a language. Would you? Would you only have one? <laughs> oh, the dog I says Frank's no. Have one, that would so. be many. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple cookies. Mm. Snickerdoodles. Those are those are completely acceptable for breakfast as well. <laughs> Isn't that a cereal? Cinnamon toast crunch. Uh that is. But snickerdoodles are. I 100% have contacted the, you know, ADA, the MDA, the FBL, the whatever, and snickerdoodles are an official part of your full and complete breakfast. That sounds like something an American would say. <laughs> <laughs> it this is the, the like world something. of fast food restaurants that have Fruit Loop donuts available for breakfast. Ooh, yes, oh, they I do. saw somebody eat that once, and I took a picture because I was like, I've never witnessed anything like this before. That, yeah, that's a lot of sugar. That's a lot, that's of, sugar. A lot of sugar. That's a toothache right there. Like, mm. All right. What are we talking about? But, okay. Question for you here. Hmm. Since this might be a time when the crew is separated for good, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Hmm. How do you think crew members have influenced or changed each other in this first season of Enterprise? Um, I think that... I'm having to put a lot of assumption into this. I'm assuming that people talk when when they're not around because we sure haven't seen a lot of interaction Mm -hmm. at all throughout the series. (laughs) So I'd like to think that um, if anybody's been influenced, it's going to be T'Pol and the captain, most likely. I'd like to think that Phlox has kind of lightened the mood for a lot of these people that took themselves too seriously by reminding people that there's a lot of things to just enjoy and, you know, get the finer things in life, the you know, pleasure and the littlest things. And I'd like to think that, Hoshi was taught how to kind of be a little bit more bold and a little more brave. And that was Mm -hmm. shown to her by everybody. I think that everybody, especially Trip, influenced Paul to be a little bit more relaxed and kind of unclench uh, a little bit and just experience what she's experiencing and and let it be okay that she's experiencing things differently than how she anticipated it. And um, I think the crew and the captain influenced Mayweather to have a bit more faith in himself. I think he didn't realize that he was as talented and as strong as he was. And this took it 
that next level. Like, I think they all had a good effect on each other, but I don't think nearly enough of them had an effect on the captain. Unfortunately. I gotcha. I gotcha. Nah, I'm all so, about hate and archer today. I want to get a t-shirt. <laughs> well, okay. So there is this thing called coontogenic structural coupling, which basically means if an individual lives with a group of people that live a certain way or do certain practices, eventually that individual will pick up those living patterns as well. Mm-hmm. So I keep looking at these characters and trying to see where, where they're influencing each other, where they're kind of softening on their edges. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if accepting is the right word, but um, maybe learning new behaviors as opposed to just what they would do. And concur completely with you on everything you said. And I just keep coming back to, I laugh with Flox and Trip. Because I would love to see a a sub episode with those two. Because I think Flox would genuinely chip away at Trip's, I call it orneriness. Because he's not like mad or angry all the time, but he's just edgy. He's always on edge there. And Fox, you know, pragmatic, but also upbeat, not a fake rah-rah about life, but a very, of like, we are out here on this amazing trip. Look at everything that's going on. Look at all these things that we can do, you know, do the local cuisine, find out about their customs, you know, go dance in public with, with people that you don't know, learn all this stuff that... Really, for me, is is a good backbone to this series for me to fall back on when I'm not particularly enjoying it all too much. Of just like you know, this this is true. This this is going out in into the unknown and learning. And it's gonna be you know when you learn, it's uncomfortable. Your body's perturbed because you don't know stuff, and we're not machines. It just doesn't input into us. So it will be, hey, we did this right. Eh, we did that wrong. Eh, we could have done this better. But to keep having that go go on and change you in, in some way, I'd love to see that. Um, Mayweather and, and Hoshi, there, there's another whole sub-episode I would love to see. Mm-hmm. Because I think those two are two of the most brilliant individuals on that ship. Mm-hmm. And I could see them planning to go, hey, you know what? Like two years from now on this, I think we talk about getting our own ship, our own commission type of a thing. And I would love love to see that happen. Whether it does later in the future of this series, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? I'm not going to mm-hmm. say but uh, I, I'm thankful that Archer told the audience that he trusts and respects to Paul. I'm thankful that to Paul was supportive to, to Archer. Yeah. And I, I hope there's more in that trajectory that is realistic and sincere and not you know, forced mm-hmm. upon. Look how they changed. <laughs> yeah but mm, and that's it that's all it. that is left in the commissary we have we, ate we it have all. literally eaten 
the entire lock, stock, and barrel. So everyone, hey, you know, that does it right now for our coverage on this episode, Shockwave Part 1. And for the first season of Enterprise. (gasps) We'll be back at some point next time to discuss Shockwave Part 2. We continue to celebrate the 20th year anniversary of Enterprise. Until then, please remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading to discoveringtrek.com. And heck, you can always find us on Twitter at what? At Discovering Trek. If you are enjoying what we are doing here on Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network in general, just, you know, check out Patreon. Maybe maybe you want to get involved. As a subscriber, you get access to the unedited recordings where I'm clearing my throat quite often and sniffling. (laughs) <laughs> and Casey's saying people's names wrong. Um, yeah. There's also exclusive content and great subscriber rewards like the annual supporters pin from Fansets, not Vansets, Fansets, and our exclusive Trek Geeks Podcast Network t-shirt. And now we would like to take a moment to recognize the following epically, fantastically, marvelous, amazing producers of Discovering Trek. So true. So true. Thank you again for all of your support. And the producers are Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Kyle Castile, Peter Craig, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and Jess Vachon. But there's also the senior producer of Discovering Trek, and that's Jude Tatman. Jude Tatman. <laughs> right on. Hey, if you'd like to become a producer of Discovering Trek or get access to the raw audio for Discovering Trek episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks for all the details. And until we see each other again, to the beam out. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.